0: How are you doing? You doing okay? How's everybody doing with Corona? Is everybody doing all right? Are we okay? Let's just take it. Can we just take a deep breath? It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Okay. We're going to make it. Now, there's, there's, if you're worried about the Corona, there's a lot of things that we can do to help us through this. They got a new way of doing handshakes. You can do the fist bump. All right. So do that. Do the elbow bump. Try the elbow bump to your neighbor. Just do the elbow bump. Try it. Okay. They got a new one now. Where's Pastor Brandon? Pastor Brandon, come on up real quick. Here's a new one. I kind of like this one. Um, this is a new one. So we're, Pastor Brandon, and I, we're going to illustrate. Here's the fist bump. You guys ready? Fist bump. Elbow. They've got the foot bump. <laughs> Give Brandon a hand. Is that a good one? I like the foot bump. All right. Goodness gracious. We just need to take a deep breath, but it's gonna be okay. Is God still good? He's still good. Um we are uh starting a new series uh looking at happiness. How many of you would consider yourself just normally a happy person? You would say, I am very optimistic. You you're optimistic. Okay, so you're optimistic about corona. Everything's gonna be fine. How many are pessimistic, the world is ending tomorrow, and there's not enough hand sanitizer in the world that's going to make me feel any better. You know, uh, th- there's, a, there's a, uh, a funny thing where if you know if you're you know, pessimistic or if you're optimistic, we've all heard this, where um, if you're optimistic, you see the glass of water what? Half full, and if you're pessimistic, you see the glass of water half empty. Um, And if you're an engineer, okay, if you're an engineer out there, I heard this, engineers will say the glass is two times bigger than it needs to be. So there you go. Um, I really want to look at this because it's interesting. uh, When we look at happiness or what happiness means or how do we find joy Uh, in our world and even join our circumstances, we know that that many times our joy or our happiness is really, if we're we're honest with ourselves, it it really hinges on what's going on in our lives. So if there's good circumstances happening in our lives, normally we're more joyful, uh, we're happy. um, But can we actually find a joy that is not attached to our circumstances, no matter what we're going through? And is there actually a a secret uh, to happiness? Is it conjuring up happy thoughts? Is it positive thinking? Is it having more in life, better job, more money? All these things that we think are going to make us more happy. And it's interesting that when we look into the word of God and we look into the life of the apostles, um, we notice that their lives weren't that great. We notice that they went through tremendous amount of Uh, persecution and opposition, uh, and we can hear this, especially in the Apostle Paul, as he wrote many of his epistles and his letters uh, to many churches uh, that he started. But what we discover uh, with the Apostles is they had this joy in the midst of their difficult circumstances. And my question to us this morning is, can we have that same type of joy? Did they have something that we don't? Was there some secret to their joy? The Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippian church, encourages them with these words. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord, and I say it again, rejoice. Or rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say what? How many remember that song? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice. How many remember that song? Okay, God, really, wow, that many. That's like 40 years old. We, we would have baptismal services. When, this is a total side note. I apologize about this, but we'd have baptismal services when I was a kid. We would the worship leader would get up. We'd sing that. We'd do like three parts of the congregation. This part would sing, rejoice, and this part would sing, rejoice, and this part, would sing, and this part would sing. it was. Okay, anyways, that's how old I am. But it was fun. Uh, we had a good time doing that. But here's the Apostle Paul. He says, listen, um, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, how many of us know that it's easy to rejoice in the Lord when I know that I'm going on vacation to depart from Rochester's miserable winters, right? That, that, that's a reason to uh, rejoice. But Paul tells the Philippian church to rejoice Always, And there's something very interesting about the context in which Paul writes these words. How many of us you know that context is everything? Have, have you ever met someone and then you found out background about their life? And you're like, wow, I never knew they went through that. I, I never realized the trials that they've gone through. And then it, it, it puts their life in a completely different context. And I want you to see the context in which Paul writes these words to rejoice or always be joyful. Because when someone says be joyful, they're usually probably not having much difficulties in their lives. And it's easy to be joyful when things are good, but what about when things aren't going well? Well, Paul, let's get the context of Paul writing these words to the Philippians. Paul, to the Philippians, Well, he's writing this, is actually in jail. And so Paul's in jail, and he's in jail because because he's faithful at sharing his faith and who Jesus is, which caused him much opposition and which caused him to be thrown in jail. And so he's writing uh, these words to the Philippian church, which he he has very fond heart for, and he's encouraged by their faith. And he writes them to rejoice in the Lord always, even though he's in jail. And and Paul... um, wouldn't bow his knee to another king. And, and obviously this caused him to be a target, which caused him to, to be in jail. And so, while well, Paul is in jail, he's basically lost his privileges, um, limited visitation. He's most likely chained to a guard, uh, rare bathroom privileges, bad food. Yet and all these things, he says, be joyful in the Lord. Always be joyful. And so, what did Paul know that gave him this joy in the midst of this gloomy situation that he's part of? What gave Paul this joy as he's in jail, uh, bad food, being chained? How can he write these words? Seeing what Paul had to endure puts things into proper perspective for us. And let me, let me just say this this morning. Everything is about perspective. Where is your perspective this morning? What are you putting your hope in this morning? And the reason why Paul could have hope and joy in the midst of such difficult situation in his life and such terrible opposition is he had a different perspective. And and maybe this week, maybe you had to wait in line longer than you wanted to. Uh, maybe you got caught in traffic You know, whatever it may be. I had to go to the DMV this week to renew my license. And I know what some of you are thinking right away. Oh my goodness, you were caught in purgatory for three hours at the DMV. Um, Actually, I know that's what some of you are thinking, but actually, I had the most wonderful experience at the Arundiquoit DMV this year. You know why? Because I made an appointment. You know, you can do that now? This is really cool. There was a line that went all the way out the door, down the hallway. And then there's this other line that says, for appointments only. There was nobody in that line. So I walked in at the wonderful glares of all those people waiting in line. They were were really rejoicing with me and how happy they were. So I skipped to the line, and I went up there, and the lady goes, do you have an appointment? I said, yes, I do. She goes, what is your name? And she opens up this book, and I said, my name is Barden Happy Jurace. It's right there. And she said, I see your name. So she goes, do you have everything? And I said, yes, I do, because I went online, and the DMV told me exactly what I was supposed to bring. So she goes, are you sure? Cause I've heard this before. I said, I'm positive. <laughs> Cause I'm happy. So I let, she goes, do you have your social security card? I said, I have no idea what that is. I'm 53 years old. I have no idea where my social security card is. I know my number, but I went online. And they said, I could bring a W-2 form with my social, secu- with my social security number. Will that do? She goes, you were online. You read what you were supposed to bring. So she gives me a number. Now I'm thinking, if you've ever been to the Run Quit DMV, they actually have pews that you sit in, like, church bench pews. So I go, I'm just going to speak to everybody today. It's a free church right here, and I'm going to stand in front of everybody, and I'm just going to tell them, you know, I'm happy. I didn't have to wait in line. I made an appointment. Today is a great day. And you would just think people would have been happy for me, but they weren't. They weren't happy for me. So I get this ticket, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to wait probably half an hour, 45 minutes, um, because I thought, well, the, the appointment's only to get in that line. But for sure I'm not going to cut all these people. No, I had my own special line. I was in the C line, and the C line has no weight. And so they called my number right away. And I walked up to there, and she goes, I see that you have everything together. Boy, you did a good job. I go, I know, this is wonderful. I was in the Arundaqua DMV for 15 minutes, changing my license, and I walked out, and I skipped the whole way out. I was high-fiving people in that line, and I was excited. It was a good day. See, you can have a good experience at the DMV if you make an appointment. So do that, and you will be happy. So here, here's the thing. <laughs> Boy, you think I'd be tired this morning with losing an hour's sleep, but I'm not. I'm excited because I got a lot of sleep last night, too, so I'm good to go. Here it is. Ask yourself, do I have joy today? Do I have joy today? Maybe you don't have joy. Maybe you had the most worst experience at the DMV. Maybe you don't have that joy today. But listen, how can Paul have this type of joy under this tremendous opposition that, that he was facing? So let's, let's dig in to see what joy really is and what it isn't. And, and my prayer for you today that I don't want to make light of anything that you're going through or any trial that you may be going through right now, because those are hard. But can we find joy and can God teach us something even in the midst of those difficult circumstances? There's an interesting Greek uh, word for joy. It's this word kara. And uh, I I want to define it for you because this actually means this. Joy is this actual inner gladness or a deep-seated pleasure. It, it, it's something that is actually deeper than what's going on around you. It's this inner gladness, no matter what the circumstances may be. It's this deep-seated pleasure. Joy is, is really a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. So, so how how can we have this depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart? Well, I want you to know something. It the, what ignites a cheerful heart, true joy, can't come from the circumstances around you. It, 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 true joy that Paul found is something within his heart that ignited this cheerfulness that said to the Philippians, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because Paul didn't have a lot of reason for rejoicing while he was in prison. So how do we find this deep-seated joy, this confidence that ignites a cheerful heart, even in the midst of of whatever difficult situation that you're going through. See, it's this cheerful heart that actually leads to a cheerful behavior. So biblical joy is not an experience that comes from maybe favorable circumstances, but actually it's God's gift to believers. So here's the interesting thing. It's not biblical joy that we're seeing and what Paul is explaining to us. It's not necessarily favorable circumstances, but it's God's gift to believers. God wants to give you this gift of joy and this deep-seated happiness that is not contingent on what's happening in your life. That nothing can take away the joy that Christ desires to give to you, but we have to find it in a different place than what the world tells us to find it. So so joy is this deep it's this deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between him and the Lord. So this is where it comes from. It's not coming from circumstances from outside of us, but actually from inside of us that says it is well with my soul. My relationship. See, Paul knew that his relationship with his Lord and Savior was well. It was good. So that was the deep-seated pleasure that he had. Because even though he was in prison, he knew that he was serving the Lord. And that his relationship was good with God. And this is what gave him a peace that went beyond the circumstances that he faced. The reason why we might have turmoil in our life or that we fret or we worry all the time is there's something within us that is disturbed. There's something in us that's not anchored to the peace of Christ and God's promises like we should be. And so we look at these outward circumstances that disturb our inner person that causes us to have anxiety and worry where God says, Hey, I've got this under control. You trust me. I've got this under control. And so what is going on in our heart? What is going on in our life that's causing this anxiety? And and this is what we we need to get to. What what can we learn from Paul? What did Paul do that gave him this joy that could express it in this letter that he wrote to the Philippians? Why did he have this joy? What can we learn from Paul? Well, a couple of things we can learn from Paul is this. First of all, Paul understood that joy is a decision. Joy it is, is a decision that we make to trust the Lord. Paul's joy was not based in his present circumstance of being in jail. So how could Paul not allow the circumstances to rob him of his joy? And how many you know every single day there is something there, something that's presented to us to rob us of the joy that God desires to give to us? Can I get an amen? there's always something that wants to suck the joy out of us or to rob us or to take our attention away from who we are in Christ. And they're going to present themselves to you every single day. But Paul made a choice to rejoice. Even though I might be in this situation, I'm going to choose to praise. I'm going to choose to. To worship the Lord. Now, how many of us know it's much easier to go the route of complaining? We all have the gift, the spiritual gift of complaining, right? We all do. That's an easy. That's an easy out. And it's much easier to go there than it is to say, you know what, God, I'm going to worship you through this. I'm going to still praise you. It's not a fun circumstance. It's not an easy circumstance. I'm not trying to make light of this circumstance, but I can still choose to praise you. I can still choose to have joy in you because it is well with my soul. So, how could Paul not allow a circumstance to rob him of his joy? Because if we base our joy in our circumstances, we're always going to be let down. If, if you're putting your hope and your joy in what might happen, you're going to be disappointed. If, if, and we, we can lie to ourselves by saying, I will be happy when this happens. Dot, 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 right? Whatever that thing might be. When this happens, I'll be happy, right? So w- w- we, can, we can say, well, when I, move, when I move, when I move to this house or this area, or when I go on vacation, or if I can make more money, or if I find the right guy or the right girl, whatever it may be, then, then I'll be happy. Um, how many of you know that's not necessarily going to happen? That, 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 that joy, by just saying a change of circumstances or whatever it may be, um, that joy will not last. Because what we'll end up doing is looking for something else to replace that joy once that joy leaves us. And it's this endless pursuit of trying to find happiness in things. Have you ever got what you wanted and then it was like, eh, it really didn't live up to the expectation I thought it was going to be, Right? or it was short-lived, that's the proclivity of our human heart, seeking for counterfeits to fill our hearts with only the true joy that Christ can give us. Now, does God want us to be happy in our lives and, and give us good things? Of course he does. We, we are to enjoy those things, but the problem is, is our hearts are idle factories, and we always run after the wrong thing trying to fulfill the things that only God can, can, can fill. Amen? And it's not that we can't enjoy those things. We should enjoy life and vacations and whatever it might be. But if we make those things, like Tim Keller says, ultimate things, we will ultimately be disappointed. So if we don't make the things in our life that are good, if we don't make them ultimate things, we put them in their right place. And we say, well, this thing, even though I enjoy it, it's not the ultimate thing. Jesus, you're the ultimate thing. And you, you've, you've given us good things in life so that we can enjoy them, but not make them ultimate things. But what we do, because our hearts are auto factories, is we tend to make those ultimate things. And we think those are the things that are going to fulfill my life. And, and they always will disappoint. They'll always let us down. And so God says, listen, protect your heart. Protect your heart from those things that ultimately cannot satisfy you like me. And so, so what is the key for joy? Well, This is the key for joy that Paul found. The key for joy is I have a peace between myself and the Lord. That's the key for joy, is this peace and this assurance that is well with my soul. And so here's what I want to just tap into today. This is what I want to drill down to today. Paul had a different reference point. And and here's what's going to help us to really dig into the type of joy that God desires to give to us. And I believe it all has to do with reference points. Paul's reference point was not his current situation, but his relationship with Christ. So we're going to drill down on this, because if Paul's reference point was his circumstance of being in prison, lousy food, being chained, guess what? Do you think he has any reason to rejoice if that's his reference point? And here's, here's, listen, 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 mm, 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 mm. listen, if our reference point is this world and the things that we think this world is going to do for us to bring us joy, that reference point changes all the time, doesn't it? Come on, I'm preaching this morning and I'm on an hour less sleep, okay? So help me here. Help, help me nine o'clock. Well, technically eight o'clock crowd. Help me here. Okay. Help me, help me, help me. Listen, how many of us know that? Because we go at that one reference point, right? And we think, okay, that's the thing that's going to produce. So we hit that thing and all of a sudden it doesn't bring us the joy that we want. And then so we look for a different reference point. Well, if my circumstance just changes over here, or if I get a better job, or if I get this, and that reference point is all over the place, that's why we're never satisfied. If Jesus is our reference point, guess what? It never changes. Amen? Amen? Jesus never changes. He will never disappoint you. It has to do with our reference point. Where is your reference point? Where is your life anchored to? If it's anchored to your circumstances, or if this gets better, that reference point is going to change all the time. Um, I remember, so I'm going to share this story about climbing a mountain with my daughter, Lily. This is really fun, but let me... Let me let me tell you why, before I share that about Lila. Let me, let me share why the key for our joy is a reference point. The, the key for our joy is having this eternal reference point. So, so the key is, is having this eternal reference point. So what Paul did is, is he didn't see his present circumstances, he saw his future circumstances. And guess what? That looked good. Because Paul knew that heaven awaited him. That all of this suffering that he was going through was going to pale in comparison to what God had in store for him. Not one amen there. But that's okay. You guys are tired, okay? Amen? I think we lose perspective and we get so clouded by this world that it clouds heaven for us. And what actually awaits those who put their hope in Christ Jesus. So my daughter and I and, and my sons and my niece went hiking one summer day in the Adirondacks. So my son Colby goes, hey, we've never done a high peak. We're actually going to try to do a high peak before Colby goes off in the Navy. We're going to try to do Mount Marcy, which is the highest point in New York State pray for me, okay? So we're going to do it. We're going to try to do it before he goes off. But we were, normally when we seen the Adirondacks, we're on, on the western part of the Adirondacks. For those of you that know or have hiked into the high peaks, the, all the higher ones are in the eastern part of the Adirondacks. So the biggest one in our area was Blue Mountain, which is it's nice, but it's not a high peak, but it's a great view from the top. We've got a fire tower, and but it's a tough hike. It's like a 1,500-foot vertical up rocks and You know, it's a tough hike. So we're going to do this. Well, we're totally not prepared. I mean, Lily's got... You know, flip-flops on. and No, I'm just in shit shoes on. Uh, you know, I've got sneakers on. We're, not, we're like, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. Let's do it. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow, this is, it, it starts, boom. And you're, and you're going up that vertical, and it's all rocks. And and so we get about a quarter up there, and, and Lily's like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. It's hot, and there are bugs, and you're and, like, and I know the view from the top is great. This is what I've read. I say, yeah, but the view from the top is great. Lily, you know, I'm trying, you know, as, as the good Encouraging father that I am to Lily as she's complaining, I said, "Lily, just suck it up, you know. <laughs> Listen, I'll give you water when you get to the top, okay, girl? All right. The black flies aren't that bad; they only bite for a second. So just suck it up, okay? No, I, I was, I was, I'm such a good dad. No, I'm just like, hey, Lily, we can make it. So we're trying to encourage her, and we're getting up there, and finally, you know, after eight hours of hiking up the mountain, we finally get to the top. I'm just teasing; it didn't take us that long. So we finally get up, and it's gorgeous. It's a perfectly clear day. We could see the high peaks. We went up the fire tower. And it, here's the thing. You have to, in your mind, as you're going up the mountain, it's just, you're in trees. You don't see any views. All you see is rocks and bugs and roots. And it's, it's a tough hike, if any of you have done that. and But if your perspective is on the hike itself, you're going to say, I don't care. It's too buggy. It's too rocks. It's too hard. It's too steep. But you know, in the back of your mind, there's a great view at the top. And some of you are like, I don't care if there's a great view at the top. I ain't still hiking that thing, right? But if, you, if you're if you ambitious, you're like, yeah, there's a view. So you've got to change your perspective. And so the great dad that I am, I just encouraged Lily the whole way. And she did it and she made it to the top. And she was excited about the view from the top. And I said, Lily, was it worth it? And she says, absolutely not. I will never do this with you again." No, she liked it. It was, it, was, it was great. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Paul had this proper perspective of his life. And, and I want you to listen to what he says to his letter to the church in Corinth. In Second Corinthians four seventeen, he says this: For 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 our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Amen. Aren't those great words? See what Paul is saying. Listen, what we're going through now don't put your don't let this be your reference point because it's just light and momentary in comparison to this eternal glory that waits for us, and it's going to outweigh all this stuff. So if, you, if you're weighing it, if you're saying, man, my, my present circumstances, they're, they're really rough, and, and sometimes we do this, right? This weighs us down, and we lose perspective of what heaven is all about. But Paul says, listen, realize that heaven outweighs all of this stuff that you might be going through now. Don't lose your perspective, because if you lose your perspective, you're going to lose your joy, and you're going to lose that peace that that, that needs to be anchored to Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that our circumstances are easy. But what it does mean, it doesn't have to rob us of the joy that Christ desires to give us each and every day, even though we're going through difficult times. So what Paul does is, Paul's reference point was not this world, it was heaven. Plain and simple. That that, that was it. That's the the secret to Paul's joy was that his reference point was heaven. Not his present circumstances of being in prison. Listen to the Hebrew writer. I love this in Hebrews 12.1. He says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, just put your mind on cloud for just a minute, because we're going to dig into that Greek word. It says, for, for, for we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, I love this This verse. Because what the Hebrew writer does is he gives us a proper perspective of how we run the race correctly and, 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 and how we can make it even in the midst of going through difficult times. Now the Hebrew writer is, is writing to persecuted Hebrew Christians and they're wanting to give up their faith. And so the Hebrew writer says, listen, don't. There, there are people that have gone before you that have made it. And I want you to look to them. If they made it, you can make it too. See, it's all about perspective. Don't put your perspective on the race you're running now, but but throw off those things that are so easily entangling you that are keeping you from running the race with joy. And I want you to look towards the finish line for those that have finished before you and allow that to give you hope to say you can make it. Now, what's interesting is this word cloud. Um, Rick Renner does a great job. And giving us some insight to this verse on what the word cloud means. And, and I want you to see something here. In ancient classical Greek times, the word cloud was actually used to describe the highest seats in the bleachers of a stadium. So I, look at the visual picture that the Hebrew writer is trying to get across to his listeners. He says, I want you to look to those cloud of witnesses. These cloud of witnesses are described as sitting on these bleachers. These bleachers in heaven, way up high. I want you to see, they're all sitting there. It's like this stadium view. And the seats at the very top of the stadium were called the clouds because they were high up in the air. And so what the Hebrew writer is saying is I want you to look to the clouds and I want you to see there's this great cloud of witnesses that are actually cheering us on. That that are actually saying you can make it. I want you to look to them. Look at them and how they made it and don't allow what's going on around here to thwart what God wants to do in your heart. And how he wants to give you that joy. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, it would. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine sitting in a huge stadium and having nobody there and you run into this empty stadium and no one's cheering you on? Or can you imagine a stadium filled with 80,000 people and they're all cheering you on as you run in? Would that not get you pumped up a little bit? Can you imagine running and you see the stadium in front of you and you're like, there's 80,000 people in that stadium and they're all cheering my name to keep going, to keep going. That's the picture that the Hebrew writer wants us to see. Don't give up. There are all these that have gone before you. And I want you to think about those that have gone before you that have died in the Lord that are saying, man, this place is awesome. And I made it. And you can make it too. So finish well. Finish well. Finish well. We have a cheering section that says you can make it. Keep going. Don't give up. Jesus is cheering for us. He's saying, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. But I've gone through everything that you've gone through yet without sin. And I'm your advocate. I'm cheering for you. I'm going to be with you through this whole thing. And what I have in store for you is beyond anything you can ever comprehend on what you have seen here on earth. That's why he told his troubled disciples before Jesus went to the cross. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me also. For in my father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. For if it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Your perspective needs to be heaven. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so Paul is telling us that there are those that have gone before us, those who have made it also, and they're, and, and they're there, they're, they're surrounding us. And so he, he, he wants the Philippian listeners and the, the listeners in Corinth to say, listen, don't allow these present troubles to get you down or to misdirect your perspective. If they can make it, we can make it too. I think one of the things, one of the biggest joy robbers in our lives, and it's something, that it, I think it's a bigger temptation even today with social media, is comparing ourselves with others. I, I think that's the one thing that we can lose our joy the quickest, is when we compare our lives with others. Can you imagine if Paul compared his life with others? How that could have easily robbed his joy? I mean, he could have easily sat in that prison cell and said, man, are you kidding me? I'm here, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm doing what God wants me to do, I'm trying to follow, follow his will, and I'm in jail? Really? That's what it's all about? I mean, he could have easily gone that way, but he didn't. Paul didn't go that way, even though it was difficult. Has this ever happened to you where you're having a great day, right? Great experience at the DMV, right? You're having a great day and um, you go on social media and you see someone that's having a better day. Come on. And all of a sudden, your day's not that great. all, All of a sudden, it's just not that great. You see, when we compare our lives with others and use them as our reference point, we will become dissatisfied with our lives. And this is going to be the hardest struggle in your life where if you're going to allow joy to be the anchor of your heart or you're going to allow other things to be the anchor and it's going to be comparison. Because whether we like it or not, we're always comparing our lives with others we're constantly bombarded with that now with social media you can just go on there and you can scroll through your feeds and you can just see oh my goodness they went here and they did this vacation and all their kids you know they're ranked number one at harvard business school and they're all wonderful and doing great and then you look at your life and you're like really this is what this is my right we we all do there's that comparison it was interesting there was this study that was done uh in the netherlands and what's interesting about this study is they did this study about um, reference points and about uh, people's lives and their contentment and their happiness. And it was interesting that when I read this study, um, the Netherlands has this lottery that's done by zip codes. And it's, it's directly tied to your neighbors. And so this, this is actually how it works. This is how it works. It's called the Dutch Post Code Lottery. And actually what it is, is it's a charitable lottery and all the proceeds go to some cause. So this is the way the lottery works. It's it's different than what we see in the States. The lottery is directly linked to your zip code. This is really interesting. It's actually called the Dutch Postcode Lottery and it's a charitable lottery and, and it goes to some cause. So what they do is every Sunday night, a zip code is picked, and if you bought a ticket and live in that zip code, you'll win 25,000 euros. 25,000 euros. That's, that's not chump change. So you win $25,000. Now, if you didn't buy a ticket, you get nothing. Now, this is what they discovered. This is interesting. What researchers discovered is that people felt much more sense of loss than if they picked the number themselves. Why? Why is this? It's not some random number they picked. It was your zip code and it becomes much more personal to you. And so there's this great sense that this money should actually be yours because it's my zip code. But you didn't buy the ticket. So even though you didn't participate, you still felt like this money should be yours. And the real rub is this, when you look out your window and you see a quarter of your neighbors who did buy a ticket and they're all having a party. All of a sudden, the ones who didn't buy a ticket feel this huge sense of loss even though nothing has changed in their lives. Nothing's changed in your life. You didn't buy the ticket, but nothing's changed, right? It's the same, but but they feel the sense of loss because it's, My zip code, I live here. And so what they did was researchers did a study on this long-term effects of those who didn't buy a ticket. And they discovered something very interesting about the human condition. This is what researchers discovered. Is when, very interesting here. It says what they discovered is that those who live next door to a lottery winner made expensive purchases like buying a new car. And what do we call that? We call that FOMO, the fear of missing out. And what they learned, researchers learned is this, is that those that didn't win the lottery used the winners as their reference point. And the percentage of them buying a new car went up because they felt like they missed out. And their reference point now became their neighbor. And they said, my neighbor buys a new car. then guess what? I need to have a new car too. Even though my life didn't change at all. But now I have, if I'm going to get that joy, I want to be like them. So now I'm going to buy a new car. And that's exactly what we do when we compare ourselves with others. That is why many people feel less about themselves after they scroll through media feeds. Or when they hear something good that has happened in somebody else's life. Then we automatically, it's, it's not, the, our first disposition is not necessarily to feel happy for that person. It's to feel like, why isn't this going on for me? What's wrong with my life? Why aren't my kids turned out like that? Why am I struggling in my marriage? Why is this going on? See, we scroll our feeds and we see our friends, our children doing well, all this other enjoying vacation, all this other having fun, and then we feel like our lives are less because we're we have the wrong reference point. And see, on the other hand, it can work this way. We may feel better about ourselves when we see others that are struggling. Wrong reference point. See, Paul did not allow himself to say, woe is me. Why? Because his reference point wasn't himself. His reference point was Christ. And that's why Paul could say to the Philippians, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. It's all about Jesus. My reference point is all about him. And so even though, even though I may die, and, and when that may be, it's God's will, I'm gonna gain Christ. See, Paul's goal was Jesus, it wasn't other people. So my question to you is, what is robbing your joy today? And I want to tell you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Let Jesus be your reference point, not what's going on in your life or whether or not your kids are perfect or not or whether or not you have the perfect marriage. All those things we can work on, all those things we can give to the Lord, all those things humble us, all those things make us depend on the Lord even more. Amen? But that shouldn't change the joy that you have in the Lord if your relationship is right with him. What are the things... That might be robbing your joy today. What, what are the things when you feel bad about yourself? You look through things and you're like, man, I'm just no good. And, uh, you know, why aren't things better in my life? Christ says, come to me and give those things to me. Your relationship with me is what's most important. Are you fixed on the things of this world to give you the joy that only I can give you? Where is your reference point? Is it in your circumstances or is it seated in heaven? I like what the Hebrew writer says here at the end of the letter to the Hebrew Christians. Listen to what the Hebrew writer says. How do we keep Jesus as our reference point? The Hebrew writer answers the question. He says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And then he uses Jesus as the example of how he had joy in the midst of his suffering. He says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now Jesus is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus, through all his suffering, his reference point was God, was pleasing the Father, Jesus' reference point, the reason why he could endure such shame and neglect and suffering was he knew the freedom that it would eventually bring you and I. Jesus conquered your fears, your anxiety, your inadequacies on the cross. When you put your hope in him, he gives you his joy. We cannot find our identity and our worth in the things of this world. It's an empty pit that can never be filled. Your kids will never be perfect enough. You'll never make enough money. Your life will never be perfect enough. It will never satisfy. It will never give you the joy that can only come from Christ. That's why Paul could say, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Why? Because your hearts are in Christ. That's why. Let your identity and your reference point be attached to that today. Amen. I'm going to pray for you today and we're going to sing a song in closing today. I love this song and I want us to sing this song. I want us to sing it to the Lord. If you're struggling with that today, I want you to give that to the Lord and allow him to fill you with his joy today. Amen. Would you stand with me and can we pray together? And I ask the Lord just to help us and thank him for his word today. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you just for who you are and the joy that you bring us. And God, I pray for your people today, for myself included. It's so easy just to get distracted by the things in this world and the things they try to offer us, that Lord, we try to make them ultimate things and try to make those things our identity to make us feel better. And, and God, you don't give us those things for that purpose. You give us those things so that we can enjoy them, but those things cannot become ultimate things because they will ultimately disappoint us. God, I pray that, God, our reference point would be you. That, God, we'd stop beating ourselves up and woe is me and why this, and and we would turn those things to you and say, I'm going to find my hope in you, Jesus, and you alone, and I pray you'd bring hope to your people that God, we would stop trying to struggle for perfection in our lives through our own strength because we're always going to disappoint ourselves. There's always going to be something that's going to happen that's going to shake us. But if our reference point is you, Jesus, we're standing on a firm foundation that can never be shaken. So help us to find that joy today. And as we sing to you today, Jesus, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your joy today. Thank you for everything that you give us each and every day. Thank you for the sunshine today. Just thank you for the love that you pour out on us each and every day and your grace that you give to us each and every day. So Lord, fill us with your joy and your joy alone alone today as we just worship you. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name alone. Amen. Amen. Can we sing?